I'm Chantelle. And I'm Julia. And welcome to Unnecessary Angst, the YA Tipsy Book Podcast. You forgot local this I re- time. <laughs> I did. It's okay. We're I, global. As soon as We've I got talking, so I was like, I'm missing something here. <laughs> We've got so much reach. You know, very, yeah. very global podcast. Your, your, lo- your local global wife. <laughs> your local <tipsy> book. <laughs> no one will believe Tipsy. They'll think we're straight up wasted. Uh, oh we're man. not. We're just tired. We are. I'm really tired. So tired. Please excuse me for the rest of the podcast. This is what happens every time we record on a weeknight, yet we continue we to do. record on weeknights like every week. We do this to ourselves. Because our lives are just really hard, okay? There's no good day to record. Thursday, we're too busy. Yet we keep up the podcast for you. We do. The listeners. You do most of the work, but yeah. How are How you? Are you? No, oh, I'm starting no. with you. Uh-uh, I got there first. How are you doing, Julia? What are you drinking? I'm doing well. I am drinking a, what am I drinking? A Dorfelder from the Feltz. Um, it's very cheap German wine. Tastes cheap, but it does its job. There you go. Um, I actually did manage to go to the wine store because I'm bringing beer, local craft beer, to my friend's place in Vermont later this week. So, yeah, now. <laughs> Finally had a reason besides this podcast, I guess. And I was like, okay, let's go. Um, But I'm doing well. Hurricane Henry, which was not a hurricane in the end, was supposed to hit right over where I live in Connecticut. And then it ended up going to Rhode Island. So I evacuated. I moved all of our stuff from outside into the house just in case because they were like, it's going to be a, you know, hurricane everyone be careful like when sandy hit it was pretty bad and like to be fair like the streets were flooded here like there's photos of people kayaking through the streets um so i was like okay well i'll bring like i had like there's this lawnmower outside there's my kayak outside we have cushions we have chairs we have plants so i brought all of it inside went to my parents house in westchester and guess what nothing happened (laughs) i was so mad but that's because you were you took your precautions. Something would have happened. Exactly. Henry was like, "Oh, she's she's ready. I'm I can't do it." Okay, I have two questions. The first yeah. one, why on earth did you evacuate when you could have had an option to finally use your kayak? <laughs> I know. Well, I was expecting, I really was expecting at least the power to go out because mm. it has gone out. We had a tropical storm last year that the power it didn't stay out for long, but it flickered uh, quite a bit. Um, so the Wi-Fi went out. My cell service was not good. So I was like, well, I guess we'll just go to my parents just in case we do I remember power. this. That was the weekend I moved back to Washington. Oh, my God. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I straight up, like, moved cross country in the middle of a tropical storm. It's just casual. Mm-hmm. That's funny. <laughs> Okay, and my yeah. second question. Why are question. we pronouncing... <laughs> I'm so tired, I can't even speak straight. Um, second question is, uh, why are we pronouncing it Henry when it's spelled with an I? I feel like it's supposed to be Henri. Henri? Henri? Because we're American. But it's a French name! Henri? <laughs> I don't know. As ask the American news system. I'm I'm, you know, copying what they're saying. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, they're a bunch of idiots. <laughs> yeah. It's like just spell um, with a Y instead of an I. <laughs> they specifically chose the I. <laughs> well, probably because they've gone through the Y already. Now they're on to the I's. Now they're getting into the uh, fancy names. Next we'll be getting Hurricane Cassiopeia. <laughs> You'll get Hurricane Cassiopeia before you get Hurricane Chantel spelled with a C. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with that, to be honest. <laughs> I don't need a hurricane. I wonder if there's been a hurricane, hurricane Julia. There's definitely been a later. Hurricane Julia. Yeah. I feel like well, there has to have been. They used to not use men's names 
They only recently yeah. started True. using men's names, so Julia's yeah. definitely been used. True. Yay. Very true. Yeah. So fun. <laughs> um, yeah. That's me. How are you doing, though? What are you drinking? I'm drinking... Henry Hotspur's Hard Pressed <laughs> <Henry>. Cider. <laughs> Is it spelled with a Y or an I? It's spelled with a Y because it's Merkin. Oh, okay. And uh, it's from Trader Joe's. <laughs> It's a rosé cider. Uh, oh my god, how is it? It's fine. You would hate it. What's the alcohol percentage on it? 5.8. <laughs> okay, that's not bad. I have to work tonight, so we're keeping it easy breezy. Beautiful cover girl. I do too. I'm going to fall asleep though while I'm doing my work. <laughs> I'm going to have to force myself to actually sit at my desk and, like, do the work um, and not sit in bed at my laptop. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I'm okay. See, this is the problem with work from home, right? It's like, I'm mm-hmm. always torn. Do I work from bed, my bed where I'm very comfortable, but I'm not as focused because I'm probably going to fall asleep or something? Or do I work from the desk where I'm not as comfortable, but I'm focused? You know, which one? So I mix it up. I will work at my desk during the day when I have meetings, and then I will sometimes just take, like, a two-hour break and work in bed, like, towards the tail end of the day, or I'll take my laptop down and go work on the couch while Skylar's doing her homework, and then um, I will come back and work at my desk during nighttime when I want to fall asleep. So <laughs> Good way of doing it. That I'm the is... opposite. I'm like in the morning because I rarely have meetings in the morning. I will work from my bed. Well, but you're working the in the right time zone. Like I have to be logged True. on by like six thirty seven to start meetings. That's and then yeah. I take a break to take Skyla to school at like seven thirty, and then I have to make it back for my eight o'clock meetings. And then... <gasps> and Absolutely then... insane. Yeah. School drop off and pick up is the bane of my existence. Yeah, I remember being the kid who got dropped off and picked up, and it was the bane of my existence. I wasn't the one in the car. (laughs) I missed the bus. Ah, but see, whenever I took the bus, I appreciated my mother picking me up and dropping me off more because the bus was horrible. Right, but at least you had a bus. You didn't have a bus? I had a bus. She doesn't have oh, a bus. There's no option. Bus. Oh. There's a public bus, and I'm not putting a 14-year-old no, girl who looks 18 that, yeah. on the bus by herself. Nope. No. Not happening. So, yeah. Just, you know. Wow. But, that sucks. Yeah. So, drop off and pick up every single day. It's really fun. Um, she might have a friend that lives nearby, so I'm just waiting to do the whole meet and greet with that kid's parents so we can carpool. Ah, that's what I used to do, too, with my neighbor. We would do the carpooling. Would make my life a lot better, but we'll see. I mean, work life is okay. Just trying to chug through and get a lot of work done before Labor Day weekend, because I have a lot of work to get done before Labor Day weekend. I did get clearance to get the second and the third off from work, so I'm going to have, like, a very long Labor Day weekend, which is nice. I'm just going to sit and catch up on books. That'll be good for you. I need it. I (laughs) need it. That is your style of vacation. I'm in the middle of, like, five books right now, and I'm struggling to find time to read any of them. I know, but I did finish Gingerbread, which took me forever to read because magical realism is not my genre. But I tried really hard. Good for you. <laughs> so I finished it finally. It took me like a month, but I finished it. I have um, a vampire book on audiobook that I'm listening to. I'm reading, still reading Witches Steeped in Gold in physical form. I'm reading a horror novel, All the Good Indians, by Stephen Graham Jones, I want to I wanna say, um, which is an indigenous horror novel from the library. I'm reading that on my Kindle. And then I, 
have the second Throne of Glass novel also on the Kindle that I need to start once I finish, which is Deep and Gold. And of course, before I actually finish all of those books that I have started, I'm probably going to binge read a romance novel this weekend. Of course you are. I really need the escapism. (laughs) (sighs) So, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Though, uh, you know, I wish... I, while I wish I had more time to do the reading, I'm glad my, like, non-free time is, like, not filled up with, um, having to get interrogated by your best friend who might think you're a monster, so that's positive. Ah, yes. Poor August and Kate. Poor August. Well, yeah, poor Kate, but we'll, we'll talk about it. We will. Um, We're talking about chapters 9 and 10 from verse 2 of this Savage song today. And these kids, there's a lot of angst in these chapters for both of these kids. I'm like, I feel so bad for them. Um, But Julia, do you want to give us a synopsis of what happened? I do. So, verse 2, chapter 9, August and Leo are heading back to the compound with Leo preaching about how much better August could be if he gave into his true nature and August feeling disgusted. August is struggling, feeling the man's soul inside him like bees, and when they get back to the compound, he storms off. Henry and Emily are concerned and Leo tells them not to worry. He sits in his room trying to get the buzzing in his head, now scream, trying to get the buzzing in his head down (laughs) (laughs) oh i think i meant the buzzing in his head like it was bees but then it turns into screams it like escalated in his head oh i just read that i was like wait what's going on here it's not written very clearly i'm very tired i'm sorry (laughs) no no i was like did i read that wrong i appreciate it Uh, So he sits in his room trying to get the buzzing in his head, uh, now screams, to be drowned out with music. Allegro sits on the bed but darts away when August tries to pet him, which August realizes is because Allegro can sense the bad on him, and he feels horrible and just curls up. Later that night, he still can't sleep, so he gets up for water and wanders over to Ilsa's room, where the door is open. He wanders in, notes her entire room is covered in stars, and sees her standing by the window. He wants to ask her about the day the Baron was created, but won't. She turns and starts talking about how everything is falling apart and tells him how many died in the incident at Lyle Square, now the Baron. Not wanting to go dark again, she hopes for an out where she doesn't have to kill more people, hopes the truths will hold, and August thinks through what he could do in her steed to protect her from having to go dark again. In her steed? In her stead. Stead. Just, I'm reading it again. Does like, she have a on. horse? I'm real horse. <laughs> Not wanting to go dark again, she hopes for an out where she doesn't have to kill more people, hopes the truth will hold, and August thinks through what he could do in her stead to protect her from having to go dark again. He stays with her while she murmurs until she falls asleep. Verse 2, Chapter 10. Uh, Kate collects various tools she plans to use to slow August down, duct tape, zip ties, and iron spikes, and starts to head to school, seeing her dad on the couch with Sloane kneeling next to him. Harker says good morning and then walks over to her and gives her a new pendant made of pure silver. He also insinuates she may receive more of of what is his in the future. She calls him out, saying she knows he doesn't want her in V-City, which he acknowledges, but he doesn't want his daughter in harm's way because he already lost her mother. However, he agrees to give her a chance, and she wants to use that chance to prove to him that she is his daughter. August is getting ready to leave Paris' house when Kate pulls up there and offers him a ride. He doesn't want to get in, and she doesn't really give him a choice, so he gets in knowing it is a bad idea. She notices he isn't wearing his medal, which she groans at forgetting and makes him a little more freaked out. He tries to convince himself if Kate knew who he was, she would have to say something in his proximity. Would have something to say in his proximity. She apologizes for assaulting him in the hall and tells him there isn't a lot of trust in her family, which she can't fully understand. Then she says she always knew he was different, which she is too, neither, neither of them fit in. 
August feels dizzy, trying to figure out what she is trying to say, what she knows, and whether she is being genuine or is playing with him. She asks again about the marks, asking what will happen to his permanent marks if he relapses, which he says would suck, but the marks serve as a reminder of how much he doesn't want to go back to the dark place he crawled out of. She believes that answer and doesn't quite know what to do with that, and he continues to stress about being in the car and this change in behavior from her. They get out at school, and she tells, she tells her driver she has a counseling session at the end of the day, so she'll be late, and then August heads towards a random group of students to get away from Kate. He calls the compound, but Leo answers Henry's phone, so he tells Leo instead that Kate knows something or everything, because she's off and the switch in behavior is disconcerting. Leo tells him to stay put and basically chill out, and then hangs up. Back to Kate, she yells at herself in the bathroom, upset that she didn't do anything in the car because she can't reconcile sweet Freddy with the vicious Leo. She gives herself a pep talk, saying she will give him a ride home after school. She doesn't have a counseling session, but saw his name on the practice room sign-up sheet. Rachel, the girl who tried to talk to her a while ago, questions what she's doing, and Kate tells her that she is praying for forgiveness for the things she will do if Rachel doesn't get out of her way, almost a direct quote, and then she leaves. That was my favorite part! that part so much. So sassy. Oh my god, so savage. It reminds me of, um, Skylar told me today, there's this boy who keeps, like, bugging her because he'll, like, tug his pants down and, like, sag them right when he's walking in front of her. She keeps yelling at him to pull his pants up oh and god. says that no girl will want to date him with his butt hanging out. True. <laughs> and I told her, I was like, if you yell at him, he's just going to keep doing it to annoy you. If you embarrass him, he'll wear his pants appropriately around you. True. She has to shame him publicly. <laughs> exactly. I'm learning too many things from Kate. Yep. <laughs> oh, God. Um, All right. Let's let's get into the uh, the general commentary. I didn't have a lot for chapter nine. I, I didn't either. Um, I just like that whole conversation with August and Leo felt so awkward. Like, ugh, much yikes! It really was because I don't know. Leo clearly has no empathy. Like from the way that August was described, it's pretty clear that he is not comfortable at all. Like, he is the opposite of comfortable, as far opposite as you can get. Right. To the point where, like, somebody should be able to pick up, like, okay, like, I will teach him a lesson, but leave the speech for later. Like, this is just being, like, crazy and scary. Right. Well, kind of, so the way Leo's talking kind of reminds me of... And I don't have, like, a specific pop culture reference, which is why I didn't put it in the pop culture section, but just, like, the energy that you get with, like, a junkie who's trying to get yeah. someone else to do drugs with them. Mm, where they're like, they're like, it's the high, it's the high, I love the high, the high is amazing, and that's what Leo's chasing, because he likes the way this very specific way of killing feels. It feels really good and, like, powerful to him. Whereas August did it, he felt that same adrenaline rush, but he feels the wrongness of, like, the after effects of doing drugs, basically. And he's like, okay, I feel it all coursing through my body, and I hate the way this feels, and I never want to do this again. And Leo's still like, but do the heroin with me, but do it, this is great, oh my god. And August is like, I don't want to do the drugs, I want to be a good kid, please leave me alone. Um, yeah, that's the whole vibe I was getting. Yeah. I kind of, not on that same level, but to me, I kind of took it as almost like this, like, metaphor for, like, when you're a kid and you have, you don't really know who you are. Like, some people know exactly who they are. They're not questioning, like, what kind of path they're going to go down, like, uh, personality-wise or even career-wise. And and August is at that point where, like, because he's still technically, like, young in his own mind, he's not really sure who he is. And, like, you have Leo here who's, like, you should just be absolutely horrible with me, like, essentially, like, be a bully and, like, justifying it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, he spends half that conversation justifying it. 
um, which you always know there's something wrong with someone who's spending such a long time just justifying their actions. Yes, um, seriously. Yeah. And then you also have the other part of him where he, like, seems to kind of like himself around just, like, other kids that are his age. Like, he doesn't love it, but, like, he feels a lot more comfortable just being, you know, this domestic kid out of school and, like, going home to his parents. He has just a cat. He loves the cat. Things. He yeah, wants the simple he really things. Yeah, he does. In life. <laughs> so he's at that kind of crossroads that I feel like a lot of teenagers go through. I definitely went through it. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I think, I mean, this entire chapter, you can tell how much pain he's in. Just, like, emotional and a little bit of physical pain from from this whole traumatic experience of killing the man this way and eating this way. And, like, the way Victoria Schwab writes it, mm-hmm. I felt the knife, like, twist in my heart. I was like, oh, I feel for you, August. Like, this is hurting so bad to read about you in pain. Uh, and I don't normally have that much of a visceral reaction to, like, small moments like this, like, character deaths and stuff, yeah, like, I'll, I'll cry, I'll get, like, upset and feel really, like, um, but this did it for me. I mean, I didn't cry, but, like, this really gave me a gut punch reading how much pain he was in. Made me super sad. Me too. And then the last comment I had for Chapter 9, I just wanted to read a passage um, so I, I have my book handy dandy. I just really loved the, the way Ilsa speaks in this chapter. It was effervescent in, in my mind. I just thought it was really poetic and beautiful, and I just wanted to read a little section of it. Um, it's falling apart, she whispered. Her fingers twitched on the glass. August padded forward carefully, quietly. Crumbling, continued Ilsa. Not ashes to ashes and dust to dust like things should go, but wrong. Like when a crack starts deep inside a stone and then spreads and spreads and spreads and you don't know until the day it... She pressed against the window and hairline fractures began to web across the glass. Across the glass. August brought his hand to rest over his sister's. I can feel the cracks, but I can't tell... She squeezed her eyes shut and then opened them wide. I can't tell if the cracks are out there or inside of me or both. Is it selfish to hope they're out there, August? Oh, it's just so good. I want to know what she does in her spare time. Like, does she just read Ruby Kapoor? Is it Ruby Kapoor? Ruby Poems all the time? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Because, like, this is, like, starter... Rupee Core, Rupee Core. I just had oh, to check that. I was like, hold go. on, that doesn't sound right. Rupee sounded right. <laughs> I got the first name right. It's been a while <laughs> since I opened that. <laughs> um, I mean, you can tell, especially, like, for people that have read Addie LaRue and, like, some of her work that came after this, her imagery just keeps getting better. Like, the way she describes things just keeps getting better, and it's just chef's kiss i love love the way she describes things i feel like i'm floating whenever i read ilsa talking not necessarily in a good way like sometimes i feel like i'm floating over a pit of lava but like still feel like i'm floating (laughs) yeah i love well-written dialogue um because you have fake dialogue which is annoying but then sometimes you have this also really nice dialogue which like most people aren't going to talk like this, but it's nice to imagine someone talking like this. But that's the point, right? Like, she's this way out there, isolated from society, a little cuckoo kind of character, and she talks like it. Like, the dialogue feels true to form for every character that's saying things, and none of it feels generic. The way they talk to each other feels true to who they are. Like, Leo is very, like, blunt and brash in the way that he mm-hmm. delivers dialogue very to the point Ilsa's again very like effervescent fairy woo woo she doesn't quite ever know what's going on like it never feels like her feet are fully anchored to the ground and her thoughts are never anchored either um Kate is also very like directed to the point but not as like cruel as Leo it's like you can tell that there's a front in the way that she delivers her dialogue and then August 
is like trying to crack jokes but he's such an awkward little nerd boy and like it it all comes out in the way that they speak and i just i love how different all of their dialogue is me too oh, good. <clears throat> she she writes dialogue very well she does yeah it's very true that's all i had for chapter nine do you have anything else yes me too i was heartbroken i will just add with allegro realizing that august has done something bad and staying away from him i feel like there has to be more to this cat but maybe i'm just making something up but like the fact that immediately allegro knew that something was up with august and Mm -hmm. cowered away from him when he reached out was so heartbreaking it was i felt for both of them (laughs) i'm guessing allegro could probably smell it on him that's true that's probably true Animals are smart like that. They are. They very much are. Chapter 10. I do have quite a bit going on here. Oh. Oh, yeah. Lots of interesting discussions happening between lots of characters. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think about Harker's change of pace here? Like, I don't know if it felt like this to you, but it felt like it to me at the beginning when he's like, talking to Kate before she's leaving, it felt like a change of pace. He's been ignoring her, ignoring her, ignoring her, and now he's like, mm, I'll give you a chance. Like, why is he now all of a sudden interested in parenting her? Is he worried something's going to happen to him? Did Sloane tell him something about Kate? Where is the sudden interest coming from? See, I have, I guess, two theories, because, like, it kind of scared me. The fact that there was a sudden change in him, I was like, this is like clearly something that Victoria Shop wants us to take note of, because like, where is this coming from all of a sudden? Right. Um, my first thing was like, okay, the war is going on. Maybe he thinks that something's going to happen with the war and he really needs her to kind of like be the second in command or something. Like, he's the only one that, that or she's the only one that he can like maybe fully trust. Because um, even Sloan, like, despite being um, this very i guess part of the family is still technically an outside figure like you can't always trust someone who you don't know their roots <laughs> well um, but if if harker dies and a monster is second in command yeah there is nothing <laughs> there is no incentive for that monster to yeah. keep the framework in place yep and then my other theory was more like Sloane being kind of what you were saying, like maybe Sloane said something. I was thinking like they had that conversation the other day or the other night or whatever it was in the last couple chapters. That soon where, Yeah, and I was like, I feel like Sloane is smart enough to pick up on the fact that she's like asking these questions out of the blue. Yeah. Like why would she be asking these questions? It's something that a smart kind of like servant of sorts like Sloane would pick up on and want to tell to kind of build trust with Harker to tell him, like, your daughter's being kind of fishy, just heads up. <laughs> She's very um, shady. <laughs> so, like, Harker's probably trying to keep his kin close to be like, like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know? Tell me. <laughs> These are good theories. Yeah. Maybe it's both. I don't know. Maybe. But that was what, because I was like, I was put off by that. Um, it it was very obvious, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, why is he giving her this medallion? Like, Also, the fact that she was like, is this my mother's? And he was like, no, it's mine. <laughs> I don't know why, but like that made me kind of sad. Um, because she, like the, her immediate thought goes to her mother, and she's thinking she's getting a token of her mother yeah. rather than her father. And like, I don't know, if I were Harker, I would feel kind of like, Oh, like, does, does she not want anything of mine or something? Well, to be fair, he gave her a pendant that was, like, pure silver and inset with rubies. So, like, I would also yeah. assume that that was a woman's pendant. Yeah, that's right. Her. That's true. <laughs> I don't know. Very strange, though. Um, and then I just, um, where he was talking about, I think he was saying, I care about you, like, you're my daughter. It felt, I mean, because I guess I picked up on the way Victoria Schwab, as we talked about in the last chapter, writes emotions so well. Mm-hmm. It seemed very emotionless when he was saying, like, you're my daughter. I care about you. Like, 
there was not a whole lot of description there for a, an author who writes a lot of emotional descriptions. I was like, it's true. hmm, like it's very oh, flat. Oh, mm, yeah, yeah, it's very <laughs> I'm feeling a little bit mm, worried about that. But yeah, <laughs> worried that he like doesn't love her or that he doesn't. Know I mean, what I love think is. he loves her, but I feel like it was almost like manipulative the way that he put it out there. Um, like there's a time and a place for that and it's, it didn't feel right. I feel like Harker probably loved his wife at one point in time, but I don't really think he knows what love is. No, I don't think so either. I think he's forgotten. Like, I think he, he's been apart from love for too long to know. Like he, he set his own daughter off into the world. Like, and I don't, I don't really think that Kate has all the uh, warm and fuzzy feelings to reawaken that sense of love no. in him. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, she's been laughing at her entire life. She doesn't have anything to base it on, so. Her mom probably loved her. Uh, that's true, but how long ago was that now? A few years, right? Just like a casual six years. Yeah, so it's been a while. And, like, that's a pivotal time in someone's life is when they're a teenager. Like, you're going through so much in your body, in your mind, and, like, to, like, be away from your parent for that long and, like, not to get along with anyone at the schools that you're going to. That's really hard. This is true. This is true. Anyway, that's enough of me ranting. (laughs) Rant away. Uh, That's, yeah, so... Do you have anything to add about uh, Harker? Um, no, not really. Most of my comments are about August. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about August getting into that car. I don't know about you. I resonated so much with his anxiety in the moment of like trying to decide whether or not to get in the car. I know. And then how to act once in the car. I feel like I do this all the time with people I'm uncertain around. I'm, like, overthinking everything. I'm like, okay, but are they trying to murder me? If they are trying to murder me, do I stand a better chance of, like, getting in and, like, stabbing them with something or running away now? But if they have a gun, they could shoot. And I go, like, psychotic with how much I overanalyze and overthink these things. I feel like that's just, like, a, a female perspective, too, on everything. Is like, if I take this mode of transportation at, like, 2 in the morning, what are the risks that come with it? I do this yeah. going into Ubers at 3 p.m. Okay, well, <laughs> I don't do that. I do think about that when he was, like, do I, like, sit across from her because she's sitting in that other seat? I guess I do have to, but then my back is to the driver like that. I do kind of, like, I'm, like, yeah, I do that. <laughs> like, where then, other people sit, where do I sit? I don't know. Like, going to a restaurant, I'm sure you probably noticed this. When we went out to eat in New York City, I was like, where is, where's Julia going to sit? Where am I supposed to sit? Do <laughs> I, I, I go to all the- I just sit because I'm like, she's going to take forever to decide where she's sitting. <laughs> and I just wait for someone else to decide because I don't want to pick wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, a lot of my friends actually do that, so I just sit down now because I'm like, no one's going to decide here, so I'm going to decide. I'm the literal worst. The only people I don't overthink with on that kind of stuff are, like, family, and then I just, like, go straight for the booth as much as possible. <laughs> well, but I feel like also, though, with, like, family, you know where they want to sit, right? So, like, with friends, you're like, I want to be courteous and let them kind of sit where they want to sit. But with family, you're like, like, with my dad, I'm like, I know that he's going to want the end seat so he can stretch out his legs. I know my mom's going to want a booth because that's where she sits is the booth. I don't care where I sit, so I'll take the chair that looks the least comfortable. Oh, I'm the exact opposite. I know my mom wants to sit in the booth, and so I beat her there so I can sit in the booth. (laughs) Oh, you're mean. (laughs) I don't really care where I sit. I just need to, like, sit. <laughs> I need comfy seats. That's why I like booths. But I like the extra back support. Not all chairs have good back support. That is true. The French-style chairs, terrible back support. The worst. Uh, anyways. anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Great tip. This is not about our interior design. No. <laughs> I um really love that we got August's POV for this whole interaction in the car. Like, I'm glad that she switched Mm -hmm. from Kate's to August. 
um, Augusts in this chapter because Kate is so confusing in this interaction from August's POV. And, like, if we were in Kate's head, everything would make crystal clear sense, like it does towards the end where she's, like, getting mad at herself and we're like, okay, we'd be able to follow the thought process. But the tension builds so much more effectively when it's August trying to figure out what she knows and, like, freaking out and being super anxious about the entire scenario and, like, what's going on. Um, it just, yeah, that, that mystery and the anxiety make the tension infinitely better than it would have been if she would have kept Kate's POV for this chapter. I agree. Absolutely. You really feel for August. Even if, like, you can't relate like we can, like, I feel like you can feel his you can anxiety feel about the entire situation. Can... Can we talk about... I found this so funny, which is probably mean of me, but um, I found it so funny that one of his potential interpretations of their interaction is that she was flirting with him. I know. Like, if he thought any part of that conversation was flirting, why? And also, he's just just a boy. No, he's just sweetie. a boy. No, I, he's a six-year-old. Like, you have to keep that in mind, but it's... The fact that he thought that anything she said was flirting made me chuckle, like, out loud. Because and you have all of this anxiety about, like, whether or not she knows about his secret identity. He's like, I wonder if she was flirting with me. And I'm like, where did that come from? I mean, come on, though. It crosses everyone's mind when someone's being, like, a little bit too nice or getting a little bit too close to you. Like... It's inevitable. Like, it's intrusive thoughts, and they don't leave, right? Like, if you get a hint of something being out of the ordinary with someone that you, someone that you talk to, like, I will give it to August. Like, it's a, it's a normal teenage thing to, like, be like, oh, is this flirting? I don't know. And, like, for all we know, maybe this is Kate's, like, flirting, but she's doing it subconsciously. <laughs> that also wouldn't surprise me if she was this bad at flirting. No. Uh, I, I really would love to see her actually flirting now, though. <laughs> I just want to compare. Who knows? We may get it in the future. Yeah. <gasps> <laughs> um, I really, as you know, and this is applicable for both of us, I hate Leo in every chapter. But I really, really hate how dismissive he is of August on the phone in this chapter. Like, oh, August's no. anxiety is real. And his fears are extremely close to manifesting. Like, none of them realize how close his fears are to manifesting. But, like, yet again, people don't believe these kids. Sloane didn't believe Kate. Now Leo doesn't believe August. And it's so frustrating because, like, just because August is having a hard time articulating his point does not mean that his point isn't valid. And it irritates the living daylights out of me. Because you need to give the kids time to, like, process and explain what they're feeling and, like, what their concerns are. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to adequately address it. And Leo just keeps cutting him off and dismissing everything that he's saying. Ugh. I'm irritated about it. <laughs> I agree, though. And, like, I feel like he... he Leo said that he was going to, what, like, tell... Uh, Henry? Henry. I don't believe him. I feel like he's not going to tell Henry. Like, he really is just, he does not care. And he, like, feels like what he's doing is the right thing. And that's what makes me so mad. Is like, no, like, this is exactly how you get into the wrong thing. Is when you think that you're doing the right thing without consulting somebody else. This is true. Based off someone else's valid concerns. Which have now not been brought up just once, but twice. Yeah, he just keeps pushing him down. Uh, Leo. Listen to other people. Go to people for advice. If you have no friends, come to us for advice. <laughs> Fair. Don't rely yeah. on your own instinct all the time. Well, especially, I just, um, the song Listen to Your Heart popped in my head, and I was just going to start singing it, which, again, very tired. My brain's doing weird <laughs> things. But I was like, mm, listen to your heart, Leo, except you don't have one. So listen to August's heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God, I'm so tired. Um, 
I'll just nod. <laughs> I I really liked it in the bathroom. Um, when Kate's like thinking back on everything, I really appreciate how much she's struggling in this chapter to like figure out what she's supposed to do and to actually like build up the willpower to do what she thinks is supposedly the right thing to do because it means that she's retained enough of a moral compass to recognize even though it's a little bit subconsciously she recognizes that freddie or august is not the same as leo like even though they may be the same breed of monster Mm -hmm. they are not the same type of person and i know that she's not quite on the train of believing he's good yet but like you can tell her heart is pushing her against her perceived obvious choice or what she thinks is the smart choice her heart is pushing her into the direction of like helping august or being on august's side because a part of her realizes that what her father wants and what she's been taught is is wrong and that there's nuance to this situation that her current knowledge base is not taking into consideration so i just really I'm glad to see her, like, mm-hmm. struggle and start to work through all of those thoughts because it's going to be really important for whatever the confrontation does happen. Very true. Yep. She's scary. Terrifying. <laughs> I would she not be friends though, with her like, in high school. Yeah. Um, she gave me very, like, scary loner vibes, though. Like... There's something about her in that bathroom scene where she's talking to herself and then the girl comes out from the stall or whatever and it's like, what the heck is going on? Like, Kate, are you okay? Like, do we need to have a talk? She needs to pop another one of those very illegal anti-anxiety pills. Like, I'm glad that she's kind of talking to herself, but like, at the same time, you are talking to yourself. Maybe she will go to the counselor after school. Who knows? Yeah. I doubt it. She's going to go and uh, infiltrate the uh, violin practice practice room. room. Oh, God. It's going to be bad. Uh, The last comment I had for Chapter 10 was just how hilarious the statement about her praying for forgiveness was. Best part of the chapters. Probably best part of verse 2. That. That was... She... Wasn't there also something else that she said that I'm completely blanking on in the last verse, which was so incredibly sassy, and I just remember thinking, like, where is this coming from? I wish I could remember it. Well, so Um, Rachel says, what are you doing? Came a voice, the words like a whine. Rachel. The girl who'd cornered her on the way to the gym. Kate forced her grip to loosen on the counter. Praying. She said, straightening slowly, (laughs) composing her features. Rachel arched a brow. For what? Forgiveness, said Kate. For the things I'm about to do to you if you don't get out of my way. (laughs) Rachel had the good sense to back up and let her pass without another word. I think it was, I think it must have been um, something that she said to Sloane the last time, Mm. which I was like, oh my gosh. I She's full of it, sass. It's so good. She is. So fun to read about. Did you have, um... Oh, else? here it is. I remember. Oh, it. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't Sloane. It was with Harker. Um, and it was when he walks in on her in, I think it's, it's his office, and he's like, um, oh, she's going, sorry, I should have waited for you to get home, but I didn't know when that would be. He goes, I didn't think I'd left the room unlocked. And she goes, you didn't, said Kate coolly, pushing off the desk and walking out. <laughs> She's sassy. She's got nerve. You know what? A plus. Yep. I give it to her. Yep. It's amazing. I appreciate it so much. So do I. Definitely. So, so good. Um, do you have anything else for chapter 10? No, I don't. Pop culture. I think you're going to be carrying the... <laughs> well, didn't you have none? <laughs> I have none. I have, like, general ones, but I just can't think of, like, particular instances. I was struggling with that this entire chapter. Like, there was... Or both chapters. There was just something, like, in the back of my mind that I'm like, this seems yeah familiar but i could not place it me too i have like in chapter 10 there's one that i'm like i know what i want to reference i just don't know what i want to reference 
Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay, well, I will give my couple, and then you can see if it sparks anything for you, slash give okay. your, your general ones, <laughs> and I'll fill in if I can. Um, yeah. So, for chapter nine, I like, I don't know why, but I do. I have a serious reaction, like, every time bees are mentioned in books now. <laughs> um, what? Because <laughs> they're used, like... They're not a good thing in fantasy books. Like, they are always used as this, like, antagonistic sort of either metaphorical or physical device in fantasy books to, like, prove some kind of a point. But they're always very antagonistic. And when he was talking about the bees in his stomach buzzing and, like, that he just, like, couldn't function properly because of all the buzzing bees... There were two things that came to mind, mainly because of the antagonism associated with the bees. The first one, Gansey and his wasps. <laughs> and how he, like, hears and feels the buzzing around him even when yeah. it's not there because he's so paranoid. Like, that was very reminiscent of, even though this is all, like, internal in August's mind, that it's, like, driving him up a wall, which happens to Gansey, right? He gets, like, shocked with fear when he hears this buzzing. Like, he can't move. Um, and then, uh, Sancta Elisabetta in King of Scars, she's one of the various Ravkin saints, and she is surrounded by a crowd of bees, and she's super evil, uh, that, uh, minor spoilers <laughs> for King of Scars, um, she ain't great, she just ain't a great person, and she's got all these, like, very antagonistic scary bees that kind of follow her around everywhere in the spirit realm of Ravka, and, uh, yep, so I just have very strong images of bees associated with those two stories, and so August mentioned bees, and they came to mind. <laughs> but bees, in reality, are good for the world. This is okay. true. Thank you. This is true. <laughs> um, and then when Ilsa speaks about the falling apart with the cracks appearing deep in the stone rather than, like, the normal circle of life with ashes to ashes and dust to dust... It reminds me of the time cracks in Doctor Who, where we're first introduced to them in Amy Pond's bedroom, um, starting with the 11th Doctor, because there are these, like, giant cracks in the time-space continuum that are dangerous and potentially life-altering, and it feels like we're getting to that point here as well. Like, obviously, it's not a shift in the time-space continuum that's going to, like, destroy the entire fabric of time-space, but we're coming to a head, right? You have these big cracks that are going to start causing all of these problems. And even though it's purely metaphorical in Ilsa's sense, the imagery of it really reminded me of how that those actual cracks in the stone manifest in Doctor Who. Did you have anything general? Well, my one general one, I, it was kind of like the druggy thing that you were saying earlier with Leo's preaching um but less of a <laughs> that um more of like jocks in school and like do you see this in like high school based movies a lot as well where they're like just talking about like why they love being a jock like ball is life like that sort of a situation and, like this mm -hmm. is why you should love being an athlete and like this is why you should join our team blah 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 I don't know why, like, like in my mind, like, I know it was a really bad situation that August was in, but, like, I kept visualizing Leo as this, like, jock dude who was, like, ball is life. And now I'm going to justify why ball is life. You know, that's a really good oh, point. I, I remember what I was thinking of. Sorry. It yes. was um, a Cinderella story, the one with uh, Hilary Duff and uh, I don't remember what Chad what Michael Murray. Is. Yeah, Chad Michael Murray. And all of his teammates are like, why are you going for this girl? Like, why are you choosing this Ivy League? Like, what are you doing? And his old father is like, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's like the image I have in my mind is like that sort of It's job. like High School Musical and they're all trying to tell <laughs> Troy to get his head in the game. Why are you dating a mathlete? <laughs> get your head in the game. Yeah, it's the same exact thing. Oh my god. Well, I also, now that you say that, it kind of reminds me of, like, when frat houses are portrayed in media, where you have, like, all of the, like, the, the frat bros and the frat guys, like, trying to convince everyone that, uh, 
pussy is life and like you gotta go out there and like get the girl and like hear all the things you gotta do to like have the most like tallies on your score or what I don't know how boys talk um but and then you always have like the one or two guys that like genuinely really want a sense of brotherhood and they're like this is what I have to do to belong uh no thank you hard pass changed my mind get me out of here yeah. Oh boy. Or clearly, I did not interact with a lot of frat boys in uh, in college. Uh, I not either, and I am happy. I interacted with frat boys, but my frat boys that I interacted with were not like the traditional. Like you go on TikTok for the Bama sorority stuff, right? It's not that. It's like yeah, they didn't even have houses. Fair. We had houses, but there was like one or two frat boys I was friends with, but they. We were, I was friends with them before they joined a frat, and they didn't change that yeah. much, so. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Chapter 10? Chapter 10. So, couple of different references here, all stemming from the same sort of concept. Um, I just really wanted to talk about, like, the imagery of, like, the giving of a necklace. Um, and, like... A couple of different things that that invokes for me. Uh, not, not that, again, any of them are at all similar to the plot here. But typically when you make all of this hubaloo of, like, giving a, like, fancy necklace and you describe the necklace from one character to another, there's something going on with that necklace. Right? So, um, the first pop culture reference I had is from a book I'm reading right now, which is Steeped in Gold, um, which is, like, a sort of fantasy story about witches that's, like, very, very, very loosely based on, like, Jamaican witch mythology. And um, there's this necklace that one of the main characters, Jasmine, always wears. She's, like, fingering it, you know, to remind herself that she's okay. And she got it from her friend Kieran, um, who's her supposed friend, um, as, like, a gift, and he was, like, just so you feel more comfortable, here's some gold, here's a pretty gold necklace, and then she learns, like, later in the book that it is a fancy old magical artifact that her friend, Kieran, stole from her mother, and then he was using her to hide it, because mm-hmm. she always kept it, like, buried under her, um, captain, and so, um, her mom didn't know that she had it, so it was, like, uh, sketchy, sketchy necklace giving. What kind of sketchy stuff is Harker up to? I don't know. Um, also, obviously, it's not a curse necklace, but Draco Malfoy vibes with just the way everything was described. I'm like, mmm, a silver necklace with blood red rubies. That feels like something Draco would give to somebody. It feels like the cursed necklace. <laughs> it could also be something not sinister like the necklace that Peta gives to Katniss in Catching Fire that has pictures of her mom and Prim and Gail to like remind her that she needs to fight for home and he uses his one gold thing to like make her feel better could be something nice like that I, d- I doubt it um those were the three that I came up with but there's probably a million and one different things that I could come up with for necklaces oh Evelyn's necklace in the concealed. <laughs> you ran with this. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, I don't wear any jewelry, like, ever. But apparently, I remember jewelry a lot <laughs> in stories. <laughs> but that's all I had. It was just all necklace-related uh, pop culture. <laughs> um, The one general one that I had, and, like, I mean, it's not general because I know what I want. I just don't know what it is. Um, it's where I th- I think it's a TV show or it could be a movie where this limousine is following this guy around like this black car and the person keeps getting pulled into the black car um, even though they know that it's not safe for them to be pulled into the black car but then they, like, are given a task and they have to do it. And so they keep getting pulled into this black car. But the person also wants their, like, identity now. If anyone knows what I'm talking about, please tell me. But it reminded me so much. Like, I don't – I must have watched it ages ago for me to not remember what it was. Um, it's also not helpful that there's so many different 
I know, culture, but there's like definitely... TV shows and movies where that happens, where someone gets pulled into a black car for a serious discussion, and then you're like, wait, do I actually have to do anything? Am I okay? Is everything okay? And you get out of the car, and it seems like it's okay, but it may not be. I feel like it's like Mr. Robot or something, but that seems off. Like, it's kind of similar to that, I want to say. Uh, I've um, seen Mr. Robot. I only saw the first couple seasons, mostly for Rami Malek. <laughs> Sounds sounds about right for you. Um, I mean, but it, I feel like it happens all the time. Like, it's, like, a, definitely a yeah. trope that happens in, like, m- murder mysteries, action movies, where True. someone gets pulled into the True. limousine. Um, and the rich person is like, <laughs> just kidding. You're free to go. And never mind. Yeah. Anyway, it was giving me those kind of, like, creepy vibes. Um, and then that bathroom scene, too, is, like, any number of, like, teen girl movies where the mean girl goes into the bathroom and is, like, everyone leave. (laughs) I have to talk to myself. Well, most of the time she's, like, bringing somebody else in to, like, have a talk, right? Um, it was, it, it reminded me very much of that. That's a very general one, though. Like, that happens in so many teen movies. Oh my god, I'm just thinking of all... I don't even know why it popped into my head, but now I'm just thinking of all the bathroom scenes in uh, Full House. What? I was not... My mind was, like, going to, like, maybe, like, Euphoria or Heathers or something. (laughs) Not that. Heathers Heathers is a good one. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I'm thinking of, like, when when Stephanie's, like, smoking with Gia in the bathroom, and then DJ's like, Stephanie, are you smoking? Oh my god. (laughs) <laughs> I watched way too much Full House growing up. It's, uh... Clearly. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. Yep. Can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I had for chapter 10. I didn't really have much specific. It's quick, quick couple of chapters for us. Nothing, uh... Nothing too crazy. Should we do... Should we do MVPs? Yes. You want to start? Um, yes, I do. Uh, this may be controversial. Allegro. (laughs) The cat? The cat. (laughs) Okay, why? (laughs) Because I think, I know August was already feeling down on himself, and, like, I don't want to put him in more pain, but I think the rejection by the cat really solidified for him that, like, Leo was wrong. What he did was wrong. And he knows that because he know he just, like, intrinsically knows, right, that Allegro can tell that August did something wrong. And he's going to try to be better for that cat. And so it's going to be the impetus he needs to push back on Leo. And it's okay. all going to be because Fair. of Allegro. Yep. Fair, fair enough. I am giving mine to Ilsa because of her little speech in her bedroom where she is clearly genuinely worried about losing control of herself. And when she asks August, basically, like, in summary, like, is it me or is it what's happening outside that is going downhill? She's obviously, like, actually unlike Leo, trying to keep herself together and trying to keep herself tethered to her her humanity, she does not want to hurt people. Like, that is not who she is. And she wants to take steps in advance um, in case it is her that is unraveling Mm -hmm. to prevent herself from unraveling and doing what happened in the Baron um, a second time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she's clearly, like, she has the foresight to feel like, okay, like, there's something going on here. Should I be worried that it's me? To then go, I mean, she doesn't go to August, but, like, does ask August, like, is it me? Is it something right. else? Um, which is a really big thing to do when you feel like things aren't going well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm i giving mine to Ilsa. Ilsa would have been my second choice. Good choice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Julie, what about your wine reveal? Okay, my wine review is a Loire Chenin Blanc, and it is a 7 out of 10. 
little bit lower. I've been averaging, I think, 8 out of 10s most of the time, but this one I would say clocks in around a 7 out of 10, uh, equivalent to a Chenin Blanc from the Loire Valley, which is, it has some complexities, but unlike what we've had in the past with the red wines that I have been doling out, (laughs) it's not quite as heavy. It's a little bit lighter, but you still have that acidity on Mm -hmm. the tongue, and you kind of like you enjoy drinking it, but there's not a whole lot to take in at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. it's more of just something that you're going to have um, in uh, preparation for the bigger meal, which I feel like is coming up. So. it's a great point. Completely How about your point. whining review? 9 out of 10. Uh, they whine a lot. <laughs> in these chapters. Both, both of them do. Like, they are angsting all over the place. These chapters are so teen, even though there's, like, horrific stuff that they're both going through, and, like, Mm -hmm. I get that. I appreciate that. I empathize and acknowledge (laughs) it. Um, But it's still extremely (laughs) angsty. (laughs) Like, August has a whole meltdown over a cat not being pet. Now, to be fair, have we all melted down over a cat not wanting to be pet? Probably at some point. Maybe just me. Okay, fine. But <laughs> no, like me too. <laughs> like we've all melted down over that. But is that like really, really necessary in showing we have our shit together? No, no, it's not. Um, Kate screaming at herself in the mirror of a bathroom in high school. Also, she does not have her shit together. So yeah, mm-hmm. we're gonna have to go. We're gonna have to go kind of high this week. Nine out of ten. I agree, especially that last one. Like, come on, Kate. <laughs> You're in the bathroom screaming at your reflection. Just have an internal Girl. monologue like the rest of us normal people. Oh my gosh. I know. At least she saves it by, like, snapping at Rachel for comedic relief, but, like, still. True. Oh, God. All right. Well, look at that. We made it with just, just over an hour. Wow. We may actually have an episode that's under an hour, depending on how much I cut out of this. So, go us. Congratulations to us. <laughs> go sleep <laughs> work. We can sleep work. Yes. Sleep I'm while so we excited. work. <laughs> it's going to be I'm gonna great. I'm going to more wine while I work. There you go. I'm going to probably go make a bowl of ice cream to keep myself awake and take a shower oh, to, like, and exfoliate. You, actually. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, anyway. <laughs> take a shower, exfoliate with my mint face scrub so it wakes me right back up do a sheet mask it's gonna be great i'm gonna have a great time um anyways no one cares about my self-care routine <laughs> on a tuesday night. i am i care it makes you happy thank you <laughs> <laughs> um but for everyone who doesn't care uh care about our social media that we don't post on. Um, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Unnecessary Angst Pod on Twitter at UnAngstPod, and you can also email us at UnnecessaryAngstPod at gmail.com. And what? What? Oh no! I was. I was. Oh, you were getting excited. ready to say goodbye. I thought you had an extra yeah. announcement, like we launched a Tumblr <laughs> no. or something, and then I was gonna be like, oh Julia, my God. we don't have <laughs> time. For we should. I haven't been on Tumblr in so long. <laughs> Stick with the social media we already don't use. <laughs> I don't know. I think you get some pretty good, uh, good, good. Uh, I mean, uh, we thought I, I was going to become a TikTok star, and that hasn't happened yet, because I'm well, too Well, because you haven't post. uploaded anything. <laughs> you could have become a TikTok star if you regularly uploaded and used, used hashtags, but... I do use hashtags. But you don't regularly upload along with the hashtags. No, I re- upload, like, twice a month. <laughs> so, there you go. The algorithm's not going to do you any good if you're not uploading. <laughs> Yeah. I'm too busy. Yeah. It's fine. I'll become yeah. a TikTok star another year. I mean, I'm not judging you. I'm busy too, so. Uh, but yeah, follow us on social media. Even if it's just to yell at us that we don't post on social media, we'll welcome that <laughs> feedback, honestly. We deserve it. <laughs> yeah, I deserve it. <laughs> we deserve it. It's a team effort. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> 
Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> Hope you have a lovely week ahead of you, and we will talk to you all next week. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.